Trigger warning, the Resilience Project provides an open space for people to share their personal experiences. Some content in this podcast may include topics that you may find difficult. The listener's discretion is advised. Hello, friends. Welcome to Radical Resilience, a weekly show where I, Blair Kaplan Venables, have inspirational conversations with people who have survived life's most challenging times. We all have the ability to be resilient and bounce forward from a difficult experience. And these conversations prove just that. Get ready to dive into these life-changing moments while strengthening your resilience muscle and getting raw and real. Welcome back to another episode of Radical Resilience. It's me, Blair Kaplan Venables, and I'm here with Dr. J, also known as G Sun Fisher. Um, she's an amazing woman who I met through an online program. And we developed a beautiful friendship. I'll tell you a little bit about her, and it's going to be an interesting conversation. And I'm really excited about it. She's a licensed psychologist, best-selling author, and happiness coach. We all need a little bit of happiness, right? We actually, all need a lot of it. <laughs> she helps spirit-seeking visionaries, entrepreneurs, and creatives who want to overcome the fear of the unknown and unpredictable and patterns of self-sacrificing so they can live their most epic, transcendent life mission. What I love about G-Sun is that <laughs> we connected and we we're I was so excited about her book and She's like, I will send you a copy because we were going to meet up when I was in New York. And so she sent me a copy so long ago, but I, I live with depression. And it's funny because I, I've been balancing out my meds and just really working on my mental health. And lately I feel like I'm in a good headspace. And this weekend I had this huge urge to clean my office and my, one of my like defaults to like managing my depression and anxiety is just putting things in piles so not like away. So my office was covered in piles of boxes and piles of packages that I just didn't have the energy to open. And so I start opening packages and I found G-Sun's book. And I'm so excited because <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, this is perfect because I'm chatting with her on Tuesday. And, you know, we were just talking offline um, and G-Sun, you know, asked me like, like, why? <laughs> like, why? Like, kind of like. Why, why? And I find that when I'm really depressed or anxious, like something that's hard for me is opening mail. Mm, yeah. And it's not just bills. It's just mail. Like, I don't know what it is. But anyways, I, I think this is a good place to welcome you to the microphone. Thank you so much for having me and for opening up the space and creating the container to have this conversation. And Blair, I've, I've got a share with you that I would have never known that you struggled with depression because of how much output you create. And when you show up, your presence is real. And a lot of times people who struggle with depression or anxiety, their presence is non-existent, to be honest. Um, so the fact that you are doing what you're doing, you are creating what you're creating, you're connecting in the ways that you have been, I I've got to hand it to you. Like, that is amazing. You are such an amazing person. And the quote unquote condition of depression, I believe is a signal from whether you want to think of it as your heart or your soul space, your spirit, your higher self. It's a signal from this bigger part of us that's saying, hey, I need you to pay attention to something. Yeah. 
And I know that a lot of times medication is really, really important to help create that window of opportunity for us to be able to function, to be able to open our mails and say, what do I need to look at? Otherwise, a lot of times we we can't do that. I get that. And I think a lot of times I have clients coming to my door with this preconceived notion that they're a victim in this, that they don't have any control in how they feel, and that this is something that they will struggle with for the rest of their lives. I'm not saying life has to be happy all the time. I'm not. Actually, happiness is a very big misnomer. And I just want to applaud you for what you're doing with your life, given how you've been experiencing really difficult emotions. Thank you so much, Jisa. And that really does mean a lot. And, you know, that reaction you had is that you would have never, you know, guessed. It's very common to anyone who knows me. And I just want to share a little story with you, but this is more about you, this the interview, but um, I will never forget this. And I think I've talked about it on this podcast, but my parents divorced when I was seven and my dad lived with addiction and he was in and out of my life. And it was just very traumatic. And I was starting to, I, I shared my emotions. I expressed emotions through writing, like writing at home, writing poetry, writing mm-hmm. in my journal. And my emotions were coming out in assignments at school. And so the teachers called my mom in and said, we think Blair's depressed And because I'm so happy and like how I show up, my mom's like, no, there's no way. And that was the end of the conversation. And I was writing about it in my diaries, talking about like, who am I? Blair Kaplan, the depressed girl, I guess we'll never know. But like, haha, little Blair, it's true. Mm -hmm. I do have depression. And I think like my functioning with it is like, I only show up, I show up when I can. And sometimes it's when I'm minorly depressed or I'm fully functioning. But if I'm like in a really dark place, like at the end of my media tour, like when I was supposed to meet you in New York in June, I was in a very dark place and I went off Prozac and I kind of detoxed from it because I was doing medicine work. And then I was not ready to be off of it because I'm in this grief vortex and um, I finally was able to pull myself to make an appointment and I, I'm now on Zoloft and my it's like the chemicals in my brain are balanced and I can show up and I'm functional. But it was a very difficult spring and summer for me. Wow. Like wow. I just opened your mail and it's <laughs> mid-October. Yeah. <laughs> and you said that in like later. May. <laughs> yeah. But um, wow. And and so like you wrote a book and, you know, I think something I left out in your in your bio that I want to touch on, and I want to know how it weaves through your book, because I literally opened your book two days ago, like the package, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have not read it, um, and I'm really excited to read it. But in your bio, which is in the show notes, you talk about how you come from a long line of shamans. Yeah, I yeah wanna... that was a huge surprise. Let's, huge like, surprise. Do you feel like you have tapped into that and like how does it play into your world how does it play into the book yeah so I am just scratching the surface of the little bit that has been shown to me and I know there's so much like the, the ice glacier there's so much under the surface that I can tap into but I come from a family I grew up in a Christian home so we were all about going to church every Sunday right if you 
in any way deviated from what the quote unquote church taught you, you were going to go to hell. So I spent the majority of my childhood living in fear that I'm either doing something wrong or I'm not being a certain way that I needed to be. And over the years of growing up, I've come to learn that there is this inner voice that's always told me the God that you know doesn't create fear, like doesn't exist based out of fear like he wouldn't have created or they wouldn't have created you or me in, in the place where they said you need to do this a certain way in order for you to be quote unquote you know good enough to go to heaven or hell so anyway i'm going to fast forward a little bit but i grew up in a christian home where fear was a huge tactic to keep us in check keep us in line which didn't work very well for me uh, my parents and i've by the time I was 18, I probably got arrested like two or three times. Like I was the rebel child. What? You've been arrested? Oh my gosh. Jesus. A lot of people don't know that about me. Yeah. So to come from that kind of a background, I was a Bible thumper for like a good solid two years in high school. Um, and then I went to college and then I realized I really didn't like the stories that were put on my shoulders because it didn't feel right. So I did my own search and I thought I was on this search of spirituality. I, I did since 2009, 10, but it wasn't until 2017, 2018 that I realized I, I had no fucking idea what I was in line for. Um, some of the things that came to me, whether I, because I started meditating, I would get, you know, if you want to call them downloads or transmissions, things that I would see when I would go on hikes, um, things that I would feel like it would move me in such a way where I, I I had one particular meditation where I was holding a particular crystal and I was um, grieving things, despair that wasn't even mine. Like I was it, tapping into emotions that weren't mine that felt so deep and so entrenched. And I remember this crystal during my meditation started popping and crackling. And I could hear it. I could feel it. I literally almost flung it across the room, but I didn't because it was my favorite crystal at the moment. I just be, I just remember being so shocked about what was happening. The thing about this thing we call spirituality is that science is now just catching up to what we know inside of our heart is already true. So had I had these moments where for three years, I every day my self-care was to hop in the bathtub, curled in a ball, bawling my eyes out. And no one would ever know, like talk about high functioning depression or high functioning ADHD, which I have, like no one would ever know that I was climbing into the bathtub. Me, the psychologist working with people who have depression and anxiety was climbing into a bathtub, curled into a ball, bawling my eyes out, crying, going to bed every night saying, you know, if I don't wake up tomorrow, I'm okay. Like, and you know me, Blair, I'm such a bubbly person that for someone to hear that is just mind blowing to say the least. I, I, I relate because that's how I was in June. Wow. Like in June, I wasn't like, oh, I want to die. Like I wasn't suicidal, but I was like, mm -hmm. okay, like I've accomplished things. I've been on a billboard. I've changed people's lives. Yeah. Not having kids. I'm like, so if I died to die, like that's fine. <laughs> like I wasn't like trying to die, but I was like, eh, like, okay, cool. And yeah, like I, ca I can't imagine you being like that either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this thing about emotions, Blair, is from my perspective, having experienced um, almost like the whole spectrum, I would much rather experience the really high highs and the really low lows than to not feel anything at all. That sense of disconnect or, or void is so painful to me that I would much rather be in quote unquote pain mm -hmm. and deal with the, the I'm doing air quotes right now, yeah. the negative emotions 
um, than to not feel anything at all. And I, I think that's where the book comes in because when we think about when we think about this world, there are three only things in this world, Blair, that keep the world spinning. It's love, power, and death. And wow. the three human fears that we can tap into are related to those things directly. So there is a fear about love, a fear about power, and then a fear about the death of the ego. And each fear has two human needs associated with it. And each human need needs to be balanced and integrated in order for us to, I don't want to say master. I know you, I use that word in the book, but in order for us to go into a surrender type of flow with what life is to understand how to experience fulfillment. And when we choose to every day, take a step towards what feels right or real to us, then we're taking steps towards fulfillment and happiness happens as a byproduct. So it's not that we want to pursue happiness. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. Happiness is just a byproduct Mm -hmm. to say, Hey, you're on the right track, Blair, or Hey, Blair, you're not on the right track. We need to pivot here. That's interesting. And like, what, what do you think? Like, so, you know, you talk about ultimate freedom, right? With, with these three elements, like what does freedom look like? Yeah, I think for everyone, it's going to be slightly different. My definition of freedom is what I call inner authority. It's when I know that I trust and accept myself before anyone else. So two of the human needs that we have human needs, it's the need to be selfish, but we also have a need to be selfless, right? In our society today, we like put up on a pedestal this need to be selfless and we think that being selfish is a bad thing but when you know how to do both it's self first if you put yourself first everything else clicks into place like you have to put yourself first yeah and the way that yeah but it just i was just going to say it's so important to put yourself first because you can't pour from an empty cup Mm-hmm. And I've watched people put everyone else before them and then die. <laughs> like <laughs> their whole point of being on this earth was to be of service to someone else. And like that's not a way to live. No. Service to someone else happens like happiness as a byproduct. Mm. So the way that I learned this was through my own personal experience with my my dad. So when I came to the States, I was about seven years old and I came here with my mom and my younger brother. My dad, dad had been here for about a year and a half or so before us. And when we got here, I just remember how excited my mom was at this notion, this idea that, you know, her kids were going to have this education. Life was going to be great. And she went from being a stay-at-home mom to working 18-hour days. She would go to work at like 7 in the morning, come back home at 8.39, cook us dinner. We would eat dinner at 9.30, 10 o'clock. And she was doing this to put food on the table, keep a roof over our heads, but also to keep loan sharks at bay. And I just remember slowly learning what it meant to um, have a relationship with a caretaker, a dad who is who has an addiction to gambling. And I remember when I was 12 or 13, he would come and ask me for money. And I remember how it felt, that sense of like, I had a sense of pity, but a sense of guilt, and then a sense of Um, responsibility that just didn't, it felt icky, you know, but all throughout my childhood up until just a few years ago, my mom stayed with my dad because she had this belief 
which was a limiting one, that she needed to um, make sure her kids came from a, a good home. So she thought that if she would leave my dad, we would come from a broken home and we wouldn't be able to get married or we wouldn't be able to have good lives, et cetera, et cetera. But a couple of years ago, she finally got to, and I have no idea what came over her, but she finally got to the point where she looked at my dad and she finally said, and she's done this a couple of times, but this time she meant it. She put her foot down. She said, you either choose your family or you choose your addiction. And at that point, Blair, my dad looked at her and I was in the room and I just, I remember watching them and he was like, well, then I'm going to choose my addiction. He didn't call it that. He left. And if anyone were to ask me how mad I was, upset I was, how resentful I was of my dad that he left his family, he turned his back on his family to choose his addiction, I would actually tell you that it's not something that I feel a negative way towards him about. In fact, it's probably the thing that I'm most proud of him for because he chose a thing that he thought was his passion. So it's not my place to tell my dad you know, because he believe he believes he really in his heart believes it's his life purpose to be a professional poker player. And if that's your passion, mm-hmm. I want you to choose yourself first. As soon as he chose himself first, he finally released my mom, my brother, me from the restraints that we we had. My mom never had friends when she was with my dad. Now all she does is hang out with friends as she, mm-hmm. you know she continues to work. My brother doesn't have to worry about taking care of my mom. He doesn't have to worry about you know what his friends are going to say or whatever box cage I want to say cage that we felt we were in because he, my dad decided that he thought it was his duty to be a dad and a husband, that cage was no longer there as soon as he said, I'm going to put myself first. So everyone else's lives, including his, is better because he got to choose himself first and not something that he thinks is his duty or his responsibility. Yeah. Wow. That's a powerful story. And such a, I guess the word is, like interesting and progressive way to look at that situation Mm. because he called it an addiction, but he doesn't probably believe that it is. Right. He believes it's his life purpose. And maybe it is, maybe it's his purpose to become a poker player. Or he is a poker player, but you mean professional poker player. (laughs) That's a great reframe. Great point. Yeah. Um, What influence do you think your parents had in your path to becoming a psychologist? Wow. Um, There is this notion I've come to learn that what we believe are our parents or caregivers greatest shortcomings or weaknesses is where we need to carry the torch. So my mom is way too selfless. Like she puts everyone else before she puts herself. She was the type of mom who worked 18 hour days to make sure her kids had this life where they weren't bullied for any lack thereof. And she wouldn't buy herself a pair of socks, right? Like she had holes in her socks to make sure her kids had what she thought was needed. Um, So I know my mom's greatest shortcoming is that she believes she needs to put other people first. My dad's greatest shortcomings is that he points fingers at everyone else for his life circumstances. Mm -hmm. And those shortcomings put together have taught me over the years that I need to carry the torch now where I am not just sharing or teaching, but embodying this notion that we have to put ourselves first. And that starts with this awareness and connection to who I am inside. 
So when I think about my parents and their shortcomings and where I want to carry the torch, and I think about why I'm a psychologist, it's really funny you ask that question because I truly believe I'm a psychologist right now because I wasn't carrying the torch. So I went to college, checked off psychology as my major, uh-huh. sat down probably year three, maybe at the beginning of year four with my career counselor. And she sat me down. She looked at me and she, she called me Sunny. She goes, Sunny, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I went, oh. I had this, like my heart sank into my stomach because I didn't want to make a commitment. So I said, I don't know. I'm just going to keep studying. So I went and got my master's. I got two master's in psychology. And then even after those master's, I said, I still don't know what I want to do. I don't want to commit to anything. So I kept studying and got my PhD. At the end of my PhD, there was no way I could say I'm going to keep studying. Right. (laughs) So I, I, I just pursued. I just kept taking one step forward. But each step that I took forward from there was because I chose to put other people first. I chose to say, well, this is what's quote unquote expected of me, not just by my family, not by my culture, but society at large. Like if you go and get a PhD, you better do something with it. So I just kept going one step, one foot in front of the other and doing what other people thought I should be doing instead of actually sitting down to think about what it is that I want to do, what I, why I'm here, my mission. Do you think if you would have asked yourself those questions at the beginning of your like post-secondary education, your path would have been different? I think if I asked myself that question when I was seven years years old, my path would have been very different. Um, When I was little, all I wanted to do was perform. I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to light people up. I wanted to help people feel connected to the sense of inspiration, this life, this awe that I felt when I was watching performance on stage. Um, but through a series of different experiences in my childhood, I threw that dream away. And had I come to the point where I was done with college and I asked myself what I wanted to do, maybe I would have chosen something similar. Um, my husband jokes that if I didn't get my PhD, I would have done exactly the same thing. I would have gotten a life coaching certificate without the hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt that I was in back then. Um, but be doing the same thing. And I, I don't know that to be a hundred percent true. I do know that there's a reason why I didn't ask myself that question back then, because it would have been a different choice than it would be now. Because right now, having had the experience that I've had, Blair, um I have this certitude of word. I have um a sense of conviction. I know from experience what it means for me to pursue a life purpose that means something to me. Yes. That's so good. Because I mean, I'm sure you've seen this too. People go to school, get degrees, do what they their parents think they should do. Mm-hmm. Then they're miserable and they're like in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And yeah. they don't like their job and they don't like their like their their purpose is to exist. It's to, you know, be in that nuclear family of like husband and wife or like two people married and kids and the white picket fence. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. there's more, there's more to that. Mm-hmm. But I love that like you, you know, what you said is when you're seven, you wanted to like empower people or like, you know, yes. you're still doing that. It just you took a really 
you know, a, a, you took a route, the route you took and, you know, ways that you're empowering people is through your book and how, like, how else can people like dive into you, your world, your book, the body blueprint, where can people buy it? How can people consume you? Because you have such a beautiful energy and such an important message. Yeah. So you can find my book on Amazon or you can actually come track me down on my website. It's bodifully.com, B-O-D-H-I, fully.com. Um, those are the two main ways to find me now. I, <laughs> thanks to your nudging, I actually got myself on social media and on Instagram. <laughs> that was huge for me, Blair. Um, welcome, for a welcome. few years. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I didn't want to be seen, you know, and you were right there when it was time for me to make that commitment and that decision to say, you know what, I deserve to be seen. I deserve to fully express myself in the way that I know I want to without any regard for any type of shame or guilt or expectations of what I'm supposed to look or sound like. And you were right there when I was ready. So thank you. So you can find me on Instagram too. It's beautifully. Um, I love it. I love that you're on social media um, because you have such an important message because like traditional people, like, you know, the society that we're told that, you know, to go to school, get a degree, you know, um, like you have that training, you, you, you're a doctor, Mm-hmm. But you also have the history of shamans. Yeah. And this whole beautiful, like metaphysical side to you. Mm-hmm. And you marry the two. And I think that's really cool. And I think it's a really beautiful bridge for people who are new to the spiritual side of things. So listeners out there, I, you know, please connect with G-Sun. Um, all her links are going to be in the show notes. Um, before we wrap up, you know, what advice do you have for people who are trying to feel free to feel happy? Like what is your piece of advice? How do they start? Mm, Oh, such a great question. Honestly, I think those of us who are struggling with either feeling stuck, not feeling free, wanting to be happier we're there because we're afraid to look at what we're ashamed about or what we're taught to be ashamed about. And all those things that we call our shadows or skeletons in the closet or the warts, they're not things to be ashamed about. It's things to accept and appreciate about who you are. Um, This, I think it, it leads me to if you can adopt a mindset that it's not about being vulnerable, because I know vulnerability with Brene Brown has like blown up. The idea of being vulnerable shares the notion that we give the power away for someone else to reject who we are. But if we don't, if we accept ourselves, then there is no opportunity for anyone else to reject who we are. So then we're not really talking about vulnerability because vulnerability tells us we have to give that power away for someone else to reject us. But then we're talking about this notion of transparency. If I accept myself, there's no way in hell that you have any say in whether or not I'm accepted or rejected. So I I think I want to share that um, if you're feeling stuck, if you want to feel freedom, start there. Ask yourself why you're in the space of wanting to be vulnerable versus being transparent. Yes. I love that. 
And like, I am the queen of transparency. <laughs> like I can't help it. <laughs> and that's such beautiful advice because you're taking away the power for other people to label you and you're in control that way. And that, you know, that's a really great first step. And I really appreciate you, your expertise, your book that I opened in the mail from this weekend and for you taking the time to share your wisdom with our listeners. And thank you to everyone for tuning in to another episode of Radical Resilience. Remember, it is okay to not be okay. You're not alone. You don't have to go through the hard stuff alone. We're here for you. You got this. You are resilient. Thanks. That's a wrap for another episode of Radical Resilience. Do you feel inspired by this episode? You can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player and connect with us to join the conversation at IamResilient.info. Remember, it's okay to not be okay. And you, my friend, are resilient. Radical Resilience is a podcast created by The Resilience Project.